I spent some time trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do in this, this period of time between, um, you know, Epiphany and Lent. We have about seven weeks, and so I, I, I looked at different things, and um, I've decided that we're going to live for those seven weeks in the Gospel of John. And as we talk today, you'll kind of get an idea of where we'll go with that. Um, I do a lot of preaching out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't do a lot of preaching out of John, so we're going to experience this together. Our scripture today comes from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's a familiar story, I think, for most of us. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. <laughs> but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip, <clears throat> dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. And then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So, as you might guess, we're going to talk about the wedding at Cana, and I don't believe that I've ever actually preached this story. So, kind of, as, kind of as a backdrop, I want to tell you a little bit about when David and I were married a long time ago. Um, we married June 16th, 1984, and we were married at 10.30 in the morning. I know, that's kind of an unusual time. However, we were married in a mountain chapel high above Georgetown Lake in the Pintler Wilderness area. We had two reasons for that morning wedding. First, we knew that at that time the sun kind of reached the beautiful glass windows and lit up the chapel. This was St. Timothy's Chapel is what it's called. And it was kind of the place where my mom always wanted me to get married. So, of course, I got married there. The second was this. We were pretty sure that my older brothers would be sober if we got married in the morning. This was during a time when that was not a guarantee, but it was likely. 
You see, two of my brothers were Vietnam vets, and the other two had their own problems with alcohol. And so I really wanted them to be a part of my service, but I didn't want it turned into a fiasco. And so my dear husband, whose family never had anything like this in there, was um, okay with, with getting married at that time in the morning. We were going for a small, simple service. And you know what they say about the best laid plans. What we didn't know at the time was that my mom had put our wedding invitation in the town newspaper. And the chapel could hold 175 to 180 people max. And imagine my surprise as I get ready to enter and see that there's standing room only. Fortunately, we planned that the, the reception would be an outside reception in my family. You know, those aunts and grandmothers and such always made more food than you could possibly use. So we had enough food for everybody. And then we got ready for pictures. Well, before that, actually, we noticed that my dad had his garden shoes on with his blue tux. And then the little boy, now man, Bobby, walked in just before the pictures with a grass stain on his baby blue tux pants. Still, it was a beautiful day and memories that we will not forget. You know, it's in my experience, weddings rarely go exactly as planned. And they, there's usually some kind of complication that happens. Um, you know, one wedding I did, there was a bride that forgot to get someone to play music. And as it was time to start the music for the service, she looked at me and said, uh-oh. And there was the bride that had no idea that it would take an hour to button up the teeny tiny little buttons up the back of her dress. There was also the brides whose attendants were an hour late because someone lost their keys. It rarely do weddings go off without a hitch? I think in all my time of marrying people, there might have been one, and even that is questionable. So the wedding that we're going to talk about today had its own problems. Let's explore this story a little bit. Do you know where Cana is? We're told it's in Galilee. It's kind of in the hill country of Galilee. Um, the exact location isn't known. It could be to the north or it could be to the south. It's somewhere in there. So if you think about Cana, think about somewhere near um, Nazareth, but not exactly where it might be. And one of the things that I read was that Jesus probably came to Cana accompanied by Nathaniel, um, because it was Nathaniel's home village. So it was a familiar place for them to go. It's interesting to note that this, 
the wedding in Cana is only told in the Gospel of John. And it's the first of what John calls seven signs. We might call them miracles or something like that. Um, and actually, remember when I told you we're going to do seven different sermons? This is where I'm going to get them. So the first is the changing of water into wine. The second is the cleansing of the temple, which we're going to do next week. And then there's uh, the third are two healings, the Galilean official son and the man by the pool. The fourth is the feeding of the 5,000. Um, the fifth is a walking on the sea. The sixth is the healing of the blind man. And the seventh is the raising of Lazarus. So those are the, the, where we're going to spend the next uh, six weeks after today. And then we'll be into Lent. Ash Wednesday is March 2nd this year. Each of these signs, miracles, signs, we'll call them signs because we're in John, reveals something about the human condition, ourselves in particular. They invite us to take on the role of the, of the people that Jesus encounters in each case. So many of these stories, or well, actually all of them, don't actually name the people involved. The wedding in Cana, we're not told who the bridegroom is. We're actually not even told Mary, mother of Jesus, Jesus' name. It's the mother of Jesus. So it's, it's always an invitation to kind of put yourself in the story. So think about this. In that time, a wedding normally lasted seven days. This wedding may have been in the third day, and there were a number of days left to celebrate. So the fact that um, they ran out of wine is a real problem. It's kind of a serious loss of honor for this family. Um, friends, especially those from the inner group of wedding celebrants, usually sent gifts of wine ahead of time to be available for the wedding celebration. Lack of wine might have implied the lack of, of guests or friends or, or something that they didn't have. Back in that day, with this week, the host would serve the better wine to the guest, when the guests could actually teach it. But you know, after a few days of partying, they might not notice that they weren't getting the expensive stuff. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, about, you know, how this implies, you know, keeping the best for last or the first and last and all of those things kind of wind through my head. Um, but there's a few things in this story that I notice. Um, the idea of abundance comes really to the forefront for me. In this story, there were six water jars, each with 20 to 30 gallons of water, filled to the brim of the best wine. What would six times 20 to 30 gallons look like it would make a huge amount of wine, don't you think? 
It's extraordinary. And it was the best wine. This would have been unheard of. It's not lost on me that these were ordinary jugs. I searched cupboards around here to see what I could find. And obviously these aren't um, ordinary jugs, but they are jugs and, and they don't hold 20 to 30 gallons. Do any of you know what tw a, a jug holding 20 and 30 gallons might look like? How tall it might be? Yeah, yeah. But these were ordinary jugs that they used for purification, sitting empty. And Jesus said to fill them with water, plain, ordinary water, into plain, ordinary jugs made into something extraordinary. Another important detail in this first sign is that this, according to John, is Jesus' first act of ministry. And his mother is there. In the Gospel of John, the mother of Jesus is mentioned twice. The first is this one, at the wedding in Canaan, at the very beginning of his ministry. Can you guess where the second would be? At the cross, at the foot of the cross. Kind of this bookend of relationship. And it's her urging that gets Jesus to take action. Now, this exchange between Jesus and his mother is really quite funny. She notes that the wedding hosts have run out of wine. Jesus' response is that they should have hired a better wedding planner. Well, okay, I put that in there. But his response is, what, what does that have to do with me? And as mothers sometimes do, she kind of ignored that. And then she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. I could see my mom doing that. Even at 93, I could see my mom doing that. Tell her one thing, she decides another. And I can see her kind of trying to get Jesus to do this thing. And I wonder, you know, if I'm to put myself in Mary's place, if to think about what she's going on, did she know what, that it was time? Had something happened that, that gave her those ideas? We're not told any of that business. We're only told that they had this interaction he says, what does that to do with me? And she says, do whatever he says. That's what we're told. So as we look at this story, we understand a couple of things. One, that Jesus' family must have been friends of the bridegroom for Jesus and his mother and Jesus' disciples to be there. They knew each other. And I think that Mary, at the very least, understood what it meant for this family if they ran out of wine. 
Maybe she was helping in the kitchen. Maybe she heard the servants talking. We're, we're not told that part. If we're at a wedding today and we run out of an item, we might uh, go to the store, we might ask for help of some kind. But in those days, um, it wasn't easy to solve that problem. And if they ran out of wine in the middle of the wedding, it was an embarrassment to the family. It was, you know, they might have provided water after for something to drink, but that would have been like Martha Stewart would have said, you can't do that. That's not a good thing to do. It was a crisis. I can't help but think about how this situation, the lack of wine, the problem, might teach us something today. You know, I, I can't help but think with, in our lives, as we're beginning to look, particularly in the situation where we are now, where, oh my goodness, where we may feel like we don't have any wine. We may feel like we don't have what it takes to deal with what's going on right now. You know, it's a place, the empty emptiness is a place where there's, there's no vitality or vibrancy. There's no, no, no cup, let alone have a cup that runneth over. As we look at this provision, I think we can glean some things about us as we begin to live through the life that we live through. I think that each of us could tell a story about what it's like to have no wine. Obviously, I don't drink wine, but I have a lot times in my life where, where I felt like I'm empty, where I don't have the strength to go on the next day, where where I don't feel like I'm doing everything that I could possibly do. Like there's not enough of me to go around. Can you relate to that at all? Do you know what it's like to just not have that thing that you need? To feel that... that you need something. Maybe you hold guilt or disappointments. Maybe you hold regrets. Maybe you hold fear. I know sometimes I do. Maybe you have in your life a longing or a desire for something. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe it's a doubt. Maybe it's a question. Some of us are living with that thing right now. More <laughs> right now than ever before. I'm 
talking regularly to my teacher friends, and it's really hard for them right now. I'm talking to my pastor friends, and it's hard for them right now. How do you know when to close the doors and go virtual? How do you know when not to close the doors and go virtual? How do you know how to pray for your people? How do you know how to keep everyone safe? All of those things are part of our reality right here, right now. And then, as I'm holding those things in the palms of my hands, those, that, that jug that's empty, I'm reminded of this story where Jesus took the ordinary water. This water was used for purification rites. It wasn't even water that people normally drank. This was water that was might have been in a cistern somewhere. And Jesus had them put the water in the jugs, not just a little bit, but the story says to the rim, to the brim. This, so they, I'm thinking about these servants who took and put water in this jug, and then he told them to take that jug and give it to the, to the host. And when it got there, they dipped it out, and it was fine wine. I'm thinking that the correlation between that story and today is that no matter what we have inside of us, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what is kind of bubbling up, that that ordinary stuff, and believe me, the fears and struggles that we have today are ordinary Everyone out there has them. But as, as that ordinary is made into something else, all the way up to the brim, it becomes extraordinary. Did you know that you are extraordinary? That you have that capacity to be exactly what God calls you to be. And that the doubts and, and hurts and things that you have within you are all part of you, but can be tra transformed into something beautiful. I think this story is about transformation. I think this story is about renewal. And I think this story can be our story, that we can put ourselves in, in any of those places. We can be the, 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 the host who doesn't have enough. We can be the, the servants who do the work. We can be the vessels. We can be the water. We can be all of those things. You see, because I have experienced moments when death is turned into life, sorrow is turned into joy, and despair is turned into hope. I have seen that happen in the lives of others. I've had that happen in my life. 
I have been surprised by fear that was transformed into courage and seen people do things they never thought possible. I have watched empty lives be filled up. Those and a thousand other things like them come out of this miracle of Cana. Those moments of Christ's glory being revealed, being illuminated, shining with the radiance of his glory. Light spills over and joins the light of others and the world becomes filled with light that is good, light that is beautiful, light that is shared. See, I think that there'll come a time when we can dance instead of mourn, where we live instead of die, and where we can invite others to join us in that journey. When Mary said, they have no wine, I hear that, but I want to, re to add my refrain, but they will, they will because I know that the miracle always begins when the wine gives out. May you be aware that the sign or miracle can be yours as well, that you can be filled as well. Come, Jesus, come. Amen.